up, we thought food was only something that could be enjoyed. And really, there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing. So much of life happens in the kitchen. It's a place to gather, to laugh, to burn your meatloaf while the kids do their homework at the kitchen island. So if life is happening in the kitchen, that's where we want to be. It doesn't have to be so hard. We can be great dads and great cooks. This show is about us trying to figure it all out. I'm Chris. And I'm Phil. Welcome to Dad's Kitchen. Phil, how are you doing? Christopher, you sound wonderful. I'm so good. How are you doing? I I am doing well, I think. If I were to stop good. and think about it. Okay, yeah, I, I guess. I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing pretty good. Hopefully you don't have to think too long about it. Have you been following March Madness? Briefly, kind of, a little bit. <laughs> well, there have been some upsets. I, I have seen that. There have... Seems like there have been quite a few. And, you know, we've we've already covered this, that this is the people's podcast. And, you know, I don't want to I don't want to tip the scales that we're for one school or another. So I'm not going to really even mention who those upsets are because who cares? But, you know, they call it March Madness because it can be rather maddening trying to keep up with everything. I would imagine maybe that's why they call it trying to form your own bracket and it never goes the way you want. But you know what else is maddening, Chris? Uh, that we still have to wait another week for the F1 season to start. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> way more maddening than what I was going to say. We do like Formula One racing. I kind of love it. No, no, no. What's so maddening is when you plant a garden and it just doesn't work out the way you want it to. Like if you maybe plant it too early because you think that spring in Colorado means that it's spring, but it also means there's going to be like another dozen snowstorms. It's snowing right now. They always say to like wait till the end of the first frost, but that's like June. That's like the month of June. Yeah, just about. It's just ridiculous. And then on the flip side, I feel like out where you're at, spring is like pretty much the middle to end of January, it seems like. Yeah, that's sadly true. It's been a weird winter though. Like we, we'd hit 80 degrees and then, you know, we dropped down to like 20 degrees at night a couple of days later and... I kept hoping it would snow, like it was cold enough to snow, but then it just wouldn't precipitate, and then the temperature would rise, and then it would rain, and it's just, ugh. That's why they call it March Madness. So we need a pro to, like, walk us through this whole gardening thing because I'm not it. I'm not that guy. Well, Phil, I mean, I think I have some solutions for you today. What you got? Today, we're talking to Thomas Barreltimer, and I think he's going to have some uh, solutions for you there, Phil, with the, the whole gardening thing. Today... We have Garden Tom to the rescue. I'm so excited. This is going to be the best. Yeah, Thomas is, I'm just going to say it, Chris, he is a garden influencer. He influences <laughs> our gardens. And in so doing, he influences what I serve my family for dinner because without the garden, we all know this, food doesn't come from the grocery store. So special, special little guest today, and I'm excited to have him. So let's grow together, Chris. <laughs> What have we been doing for the past six months, Phil? I've been growing. Maybe you haven't, but I've been growing. No, I, I am very much looking forward to this. I have been for a while. So let's dive in. Let's do it. So let's get started. Let's take a walk down Conversation Street. Please put that in there. Please put that in there. Without further ado, Thomas. Hey, Phil. What's going on, Chris? Not much. Thomas, how are you I'm today? Awesome. Thanks for having me. Hey, Thomas. Yeah, no, thanks for joining us. We're super excited to have you. We've been looking forward to this for a little while. Maybe maybe because I'm personally just looking forward to spring and there's some kind of inspirational thought behind all of that. But yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us today. 
Of course. I've read a couple of the interviews that you've done and, you know, we're kind of like a podcast that focuses on, you know, making the kitchen approachable for dads just because it's maybe not traditionally seen as something that, or a place that guys spend a lot of time. So it's always like super interesting and, and cool to, you know, find other dads that like to cook that and enjoy being in that space. And so like, I have seen that you've, you've said that you've enjoyed that. Like, how did you get into cooking? Just because, you know, so many of us don't have like an obvious path into that. Yeah. I've been cooking since I was a kid and I've been watching for fun food networks since I was a kid too. You know, Ina Garden, I used to love watching her show and I would just sit on the couch and watch hours and hours of that and then baseball would come on and I would watch baseball so it's always kind of been a part of my life and I've actually been in the coffee since I was five and which is kind of crazy, but we got like a espresso machine with a steamer when I think I was like 10 and I was making lattes for my family when I was that old. I've always really been interested in coffee and food. And I think just cooking was a natural part of that. And I love to continue it today because, well, one, one of the things I love the most is cooking for crowds. I'm a huge big green egg fan and I love any excuse to get that fired up. I've done 15 pizzas on my big green egg i've done turkeys and uh, yeah like multiple levels i have the xl so i will do like multiple levels like 15 at a time no uh, i'll do like two at a time but i'll do like just 15 i wish i could keep it going that would be really cool shoot um yeah i love it i mean i would only recommend the xls uh the large for me unless you're like really big i'm we're very vegetarian leaning so i'm not doing big like briskets or pork butts or stuff like that on it. So everything is typically, I would say it's more grilling where it's, you know, a chicken or a fish with vegetables taking up a huge amount of the space. Yeah, that's probably way more in line with kind of how we we typically eat. It's it's usually like chicken, fish and some type of vegetables, so. Yeah, and I think one thing, um, we grew up in the Central Valley in California, which if you know anything about that, that's where a ton of our produce in the United States comes from. So we've always had some of the best vegetables, fruits, nuts that you can get our hands on and and always been cooking with those. I spent a summer as a researching as a charcoal analyst and was working on like prototypes of new charcoal products. So I was grilling for every night for an entire summer. I've just always loved to cook. I always loved to help my mom out. My mom was the chef in the house. My grandma is an amazing chef. And I just always kind of loved helping out, especially on the grill. Nice. Yeah, I was kind of wondering if if that was a little bit of a family thing, kind of if you came from a a food family where that was just a little bit a a part of like your culture growing up. Yeah, I would say I would say my family's not necessarily like foodies. My parents and my grandparents do enjoy really good food, but I think my mom just cooked, you know, six nights a week at least. So she was always in the kitchen. Yeah. So being able to help out where I could. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. So you're from California, but you're out in Charleston now. How did you make your way across the country? Yeah. So when we graduated from university, we went to school at University of the Pacific in Stockton, California, where we, where my wife and I both 
kind of grew up in the area. Then we moved to San Francisco for six years, worked a little bit in tech. My wife got a job and she had started her blog and she had a job and it got to the point where her commute was just getting too crazy and she realized that she was making more money from her blog doing it part-time and on the weekends than you know, she was making in her, her job. And she said, what if I focused on this thing full-time? I could at least double how much I'm making. And yeah. so she went and she left and she did it full-time for about a year and a half. And I was working in tech in San Francisco. Then it got to the point where it was too much work for us, where she either needed to hire a professional photographer to help or a business partner to help her out, or I could leave my job and focus on the blog, which we had built together. Every weekend we'd work together. We were always together doing that. And so it just made the most sense for me to leave my job and to pursue building our blog and our business around that. And so once we went full-time on the blog, we kind of had this like, why are we living in San Francisco? Obviously it's a, a great city, but we were like, we could live anywhere in the entire world. And so, you know, we had thought about, you know, London or Paris or something crazy like that. And then we just happened to go to Charleston and within hours, we were like, we should move here. And we had a friend that was already <laughs> here. We had drinks with her that night and her husband, we said, tell us why we shouldn't move here. And they're like, we can't think of any reason. That's amazing. I actually have a really similar story. Um, so I, I'm originally from Colorado as well. And uh, that's how Chris and I got to know each other. We've been friends for 20 years, best men and each other's weddings type of thing. And But we moved here because we, we went on vacation to Charleston and I was in the process of selling a business in Colorado. And I was just like, I don't really know what I'm going to do. I mean, I could do the same business somewhere else where where should that be? And then, and then my wife was like, I don't know, we like Charleston and we should just move there. And so yeah. we did. How long have you and your wife been kind of doing the blog thing? So we started dating in 2010 and we started the blog in 2011. Became my full-time job in 2015. So we're coming okay. up on April 2021 will be 10 years that we've had this yeah. business. And we'll, we'll have a lot of this in, in the show notes, obviously, but do you want to just talk briefly on what that blog is? Yeah. So in 2011, my then girlfriend, now wife, Julia, came home from class one day and she's like, I started a fashion blog. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And she was like, well, here's the camera. Like, we're going to go take outfit pictures together. <laughs> from that moment on, it kind of just became a hobby. And, you know, blogging was just kind of this thing that she did on the on the side for fun. This was before Instagram was really even existed. And there was all these other fashion bloggers. And you, would, you would be on people's blog roles and they would talk about like who their favorite bloggers were. And then it was really in like 2014 when she went full time that there was starting to be an industry that was developing around it. And there was this natural carryover from all of these people were, who were on our site. Uh, they wanted to follow us on Instagram too. And then when we went full time, that was when Instagram was really, really growing. So we were traveling and creating all this content. And we, at one point, I think we were like the fastest growing fashion blogger in wow. 2015, which is when I started full time. And over since the moment we moved to Charleston, we kind of started gardening more. And yeah. anytime we shared my garden or our garden, people would just kind of like perk up and be like, oh, this is like amazing. You know, normally there's, there's a lot of gardening influencers out there, but they're kind of appealing to people that already garden. I would say our appeal was that it's a lot of people who are interested in gardening, but don't know how to start. That's that's exactly where I wanted to get to. I think we're kind of in that space personally where, you know, we're not necessarily established gardeners. And in a way, we didn't necessarily know where to start. And it was finding finding someone that could like help create that, that entry point 
for us was something that we were super interested in. It's interesting because up until the last 10 years, like brands and the people that ran brands have never had the personal connection with their customers and audience. And we were able to sense very quickly that people like were responding to gardening so much. And I was still going to be gardening anyways, but it influenced what we would share. And, you know, it started just being on Julia's feed. And now I'm kind of launching a whole nother business out of it. So Thomas, as as we're kind of also in that same place, like trying to tag along into that concept of wanting to be better cooks, but maybe not necessarily knowing where to start or what to do. I mean, that's that's kind of our mission here at Dad's Kitchen. So it's like perfectly aligned with what, you know, your origins are with with wanting to, to be a garden blog and garden influencer and whatnot. So help us out. I know a little bit about gardening. Chris yeah. is probably a, a million times more knowledgeable on just about anything than I am. <laughs> or at least or at least our wives, you know, kind of kind of know what to do. But if we were to pick like three or four things, you know, just I don't know if it's carrots and cucumbers or if we can start small, what what recommendations do you have for us? Yeah. So I would say like the places that I started and kind of where I like people or I recommend people to start is start with containers, start with pots, start with flowers and herbs. I would say herbs are probably like, you know, they're incredibly easy to grow. The biggest note I would say is make sure to know like a lot of the Mediterranean herbs, they prefer drier soil compared to something like rosemary or lavender. That's gonna like a drier soil compared to a basil or a cilantro. And that's the great thing about containers is that you can kind of customize that when you're filling up those pots. So I would say like the easiest way to start is definitely with pots. Like pick your three favorite herbs and keep them relatively close to your your front door because you're gonna be passing them all the time. And you're like, oh, you might be walking in with groceries or you know just coming in from the car and you could take off some cilantro you can take off some basil and and add it to the to your dinner i think flowers are awesome because they add a beautiful accent to your house like one of the first places i started was with our front porch and our front steps and just loading that up with flowers because you know it gives it curb appeal and you know it also kind of gives you gardening there's maintenance is a really important thing to keep up with so putting it on your front porch makes sure that you're going to make keep up with it and and keep it alive and keep it healthy i can already tell this is going to be my wife's favorite episode (laughs) yeah i uh i do kind of love that herb suggestion and that's something that we have been able to keep alive is like a little we have like this galvanized tub but we we did kind of make that mistake of mixing a couple different things kind of based on what we used often we used a lot of a lot of rosemary a lot of basil maybe some mint and, and thyme and things like that and we were noticing that some of them did better than others and I, I wonder if that's kind of one of those reasons yeah yeah i would say exactly that and the nice thing about herbs is that they don't always have to have full sun so if you do have them in a covered porch or behind your house and and does get some shade most of them will be okay with not in full sun for kind of that next step of like you know most people start with a smaller raised bed i think a four by four foot is kind of perfect because you can do a number of things there if you're growing with kids i i think you know we'll talk about just plants that kids love to start but you know our daughter I planted some radishes and radishes are ready to harvest in like 30 to 45 days after planting. So they're pretty much the fastest oh, thing wow. you can yeah. do besides baby lettuces, which is another great thing. 
but she had a she's 18 months and she just had a blast just pulling up the radishes i planted like 16 and she went through them in like four days but that's also something that's awesome because you can kind of what's called like succession plant it so you could plant you know 16 at a time then plant another 16 a month later so that you kind of always have radishes lettuce greens are awesome because you can harvest those both as a full head of lettuce or they call it cut and come again so like you can harvest a few baby leaves and just kind of keep picking at it and make a few salads over the course of a few months the other things you know i i bought 18 strawberry plants which you could probably even get those at lowe's but you know that's something that i expect in when they are fruiting later this spring and summer that our daughter is going to love just going and and picking so anything that you are planting and you plan on them depending on the age of your kids but anything that you plan on them kind of helping you out with radishes or strawberries or lettuce plant it closer to you so that it's accessible for them because they love to just reach in and grab it carrots are another good example because you just plant the seed and you know you kind of just let it do its thing they don't need a lot of attention another type of plant is things that bring in pollinators so things that bring in bees and and butterflies are great for kids i planted zinnias last year um, which is type of flower you keep deadheading them and they'll just keep growing and growing and, and you have flowers all summer long and butterflies would be the on them all day long and our daughter would just marvel at them. Yeah, we we actually had a pollinator garden that we that we planted last year, and it, I could not believe the amount of things that it attracted. It's so like a ton of different types of butterflies, in, including you know we planted some milkweeds, so we had um, monarchs. Yeah, thank you, some monarchs, but also hummingbirds and big furry bumblebees, which are just like super fun to just look at, you know. And then we actually had a, a chrysalis form, which turned out to be a monarch, wow. and so that was like super exciting. And the cool thing about the monarch chrysalis is that it will it will actually turn translucent right before it, I guess, hatches. So we know like oh, this is the day. I think it's I think it's going to emerge like today. And so my wife actually sets up her iPhone with a, a little, you know, miniature tripod. And then she turns on this time lapse so that we could like see the whole thing happen. And no joke, as she pushes play, the thing just emerges like right before our eyes. Wow. And it was just like this magical moment. And I was like, I never knew that I loved gardening so much until now. <laughs> yeah. I, I think some of those are like really awesome places to start. Uh, yeah. I feel like this might be Molly's favorite episode too. We, we eat radishes. We, we love them. You know, we'll, we'll have them by themselves. Chris eats them with butter. Yeah. We'll, we'll like make radish sandwiches, butter, radishes, and then salt on the top of it. But one question that I, I think I did have as you were talking was in terms of starting things, are you kind of mostly a proponent of starting with seeds or more of an established plant or just does it kind of depend on what it is that you're planting? Yeah, I personally will start 95% of what I, what I grow from seed, at least in the vegetable garden. That's my preference because I'm you know, doing so much research and I have all the seed catalogs and I just have this vision for what I want to achieve. But you don't have to do that. You know, there's things like radishes and, and carrots, like most of the root vegetables, you will have to start those from seed because they don't transplant well. But, you know, that's just kind of my preference. You know, Lowe's right now, it's it's February when we're recording this, but Lowe's has almost full size tomatoes to buy right now. Like that's way too early. And they probably have them all throughout the United. I saw someone I follow on on in San Diego. They were showing these tomatoes that were 
two or three feet tall ready to go in someone's garden and like here we haven't reached the frost date the last frost date yet so those would be at risk and they could die so like don't go to lowe's and get them but go to a local nursery and see if they sometimes there's local providers that will have uh really good you know maybe they're growing the seeds themselves and their or their organic providers just kind of look around and i would say more local nurseries will probably have uh really good options well and then at at a place like lowe's from what i understand like you know thomas you and i are on the right on the coast the buyer for our lowe's is going to be the same buyer for you know say north carolina tennessee south carolina like that that border area right and it's just got completely different growing season up there higher elevations, a little bit cooler. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the on the local nursery. There's actually a place, which I'm sure you're familiar with, called called Hyams. Mm-hmm. They're on James Island. So we go we go there all the time. We love it. Yeah, just another one too is Roots and Shoots. So I'm like really into natives. And so they only carry natives. And then they also have citrus trees and fruit trees. And, and then they will also sell some vegetable plants and, and herbs from a local grower. I saw a stat that there were 16 million new gardeners that started last year oh, during wow. the pandemic. So like <laughs> everyone is, is getting ready for this big old, like it to all happen again and potentially even yeah. more gardeners to start. So there's a lot of useful resources out there, but one of the things that's just super easy, just type in your zip code and growing zone. And one of the things that that will yield is what's called the date of last spring frost. So any date after that is kind of you are safe to plant things outside because most plants, let's say tomato, if it were to freeze, then they would die. Thomas, what about what about someone and that's maybe more interested in urban gardening? You know, that's that's kind of a, a trend right now. There's some amazing things that are happening. There's some celebrities that are getting on board, which I think is really cool to try to like, you know, just bring more awareness into into what ur- urban gardening can become. And for someone that say maybe has an apartment with maybe maybe a balcony or maybe not even a balcony, but they've got, you know, some some indoor space with some sun, what what recommendations might you have? You know, I think it's different for us because one, being a parent and being a gardener kind of go hand in hand because you kind of have to have figured out who you are as a person. You need to like have an established, I'm going to be living here for the next few years or, you know, buying a house, but kind of have, you know, a consistent life pattern. And I think gardening and and that kind of really work together, but sometimes you just, you don't know where you're going to be living next year or, or you're in an apartment, but you may be going to a house or, so you want to be able to garden and, it needs to be able to kind of travel with you. One of the things that I use, because right now, like we're mid, mid re-landscaping our entire yard. We're putting in a pool, putting in all new vegetable beds. And so I've known that that process was going to start for pretty much a year. And so instead of planting things into the ground, I've been using the what's called grow bags. You can get them on Amazon. Like a pack of five is like 20 bucks. They're super inexpensive, but they're really awesome. And a lot of the ones have handles on them. So So they're super easy to transport. I actually had a friend who wanted to do my grow along, but she lives 
here during the school year and then she moves like an hour away during the summer and so she wanted to be able to move her garden and so i was trying to figure out these different ways they actually make grow bags that are like a four foot by two foot or even bigger than that they may actually make a four foot by four foot so it'd be hard to pick up that but like it could be done um you could put it on a pallet or something like that if you really yeah. wanted to move it but you know they make five gallon grow bags they make 10 gallon grow bags and like with one person or even two people could pick up a 20 gallon together they have with handles that it makes it pretty easy so that would be a good place to start if you are a if you have a balcony if you have an outdoor spot to grow indoors i'm not the best indoor grower i'm pretty good at keeping certain things alive but i don't know how to make them super super healthy i'm really good at starting seeds indoors but you know as far as like keeping things on the windowsill one of the problems is that some windows have uv coating and plants will need yeah. that UV light to grow properly. So you might have to supplement it somehow. You could, and like I said, like herbs earlier, I said herbs that can do well without full sun. You know, those would be good options of things to keep inside. And you could even keep them in smaller pots. So like maybe for a month or two weeks, you kind of cycle those pots from outdoors to in. You know, that that's something that could work. How do you feel about arrow gardens? One of the things that like last year, because I had all this time on my hands, I, I was getting so obsessed about mixing my own soil and buying six different ingredients to mix the soil. And I think this year I just want to like keep things super simple. I'm doing a gardening method called no dig and no dig just uses a ton of compost and very little of other things. You don't add fertilizer. It's like there's no weeds. I'm just trying to simplify everything. And that's for me, but that's also because I'm teaching other people how to garden. And I don't, I don't know what fertilizer is doing underneath the soil. I don't know how to tell exactly mm -hmm. people what they need, precisely what they need for their specific plants or their bed or whatever. Like you can solve so much with just three to six inches on top of what you already have of just a mixture of really good compost. And so going to all the indoor things like the aero gardening or the hydroponics, like to really do it right, you almost have to be a chemist and you have to just be on top of your system and you have to be mixing in different fertilizers and chemicals. I'm like, to me, I don't get the joy out, out of that. I know it works for a lot of people and you know, there's businesses of, that are growing lettuces and, and herbs indoors using aeroponics and hydroponics. So it works. I just don't get that much enjoyment out of it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned composting and that's something that actually has been super interesting to us, but it's another one of those things that it's like, I don't even know, necessarily know where to start. Yeah. We go through, so I have a, what's called like a tumble composter. You know, you typically think of compost heap that has to be turned every once in a while to introduce oxygen in it. And a tumbler is just above ground and you can just spin it and that brings oxygen back into the composting and, and can kick it back up a notch. My, the, our hardest part is gathering, you know, the kitchen scraps and the in-between of when they're gathered and when they go into the tumbler, because especially with the tumblers, you really should be adding at least like five gallons of material at a time. And so what we've struggled with is like, you have the thing that's out on the counter and then you forget about it. And all of a sudden, even though I have a filter and all these things like bugs get in, 
and there's flies and it's just, it's kind of nasty. So we go through phases of it. I actually will keep on our back door, I will keep a galvanized bin that I'll throw kitchen scraps into and then I'll put shredded paper or I'll put these, it's basically sawdust pellets. They use it, it's used for like animal bedding, um, for like horse bedding. Yeah. So I'll put like a layer of that, maybe a cup of that, and then I'll put a bunch of kitchen scraps uh, on there. And then I'll just keep building that layer. And then after every like two or three weeks, once that five gallon thing is, is full, then I'll dump it into my composter. Do you put your scraps through a food processor first? It helps, yeah. I just, I don't want to burn a food processor and have to clean it all just to be able. So right. so one thing I found is once I fill up that bucket and I've been looking for a better process, like actually I've seen some YouTube videos of people that have taken garbage disposal. So they'll take a garbage disposal and they'll build like this apparatus and they'll basically like put all their vegetables that they want ground up and then they'll put a bucket underneath it and they'll basically just like have it go straight into a bucket and that works perfectly. Perfectly. So I think once I have my new greenhouse, I might build something like that because it's you don't want to have to clean something every time you just want to break it up. So in the in the meantime, I'll put it in that galvanized bucket. And then I have like a either a shovel, like a spade, or it's like an edging tool. And I'll just mash it and just cut it up as much as I can. And then I'll put it in because it's really important that the smaller the pieces, the, the faster it's going to compost. And I would imagine that tumbler probably not only is convenient because you can easily kind of turn it around and keep it off the ground and regulate moisture and all that fun stuff, but also, and this is important, it probably keeps the smell down, right? Yeah, it definitely does. So when you're composting, you need to know like food scraps, those are like really high in nitrogen compared to, so those are called greens. So you need your the proper ratio of greens to browns. It's kind of overly complicated. And like every time I'm, I'm putting new stuff in there, I'm like using a compost calculator to figure out how much greens I'm adding so that how much browns I need to add. So like greens are uh, food waste, coffee grounds, lawn clippings, browns would be like shredded leaves, shredded paper, the sawdust pellets I, I mentioned, wood chips could be used, but they don't break down as quick. So you kind of, you have to balance the proper amount. And the recommended is a 25 to one, what's called like carbon to nitrogen. So those brown items were the, are the carbon. So it's a lot of, a lot of calculation, but if you get that right, then it, it really, it's crazy how, how much it works. The first time, my first batch ever, I literally only threw greens. I only threw nitrogen stuff and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go check on my compost. And it was this green, nasty slime. It was <laughs> disgusting. And then I was like, oh my God, how do I salvage this? But eventually, you know, I just, I figured it out. I threw in some bark and other browns and then eventually just all started composting. Super interesting. But I think composting is is not for everyone. And also like a worm bin would probably not be for everyone too. But it look, <laughs> like what I've seen about like worm bins, it looks even easier than like the compost tumblers. I haven't always had the best success with mine. And I, I don't always trust that I got it up to the proper temperatures to, you know, kill the weed seeds or kill any pathogens. So I feel better using my compost outside of my vegetable garden. I will use it under trees and shrubs. And, and use it in spots where I can. But I'm pretty sure that you can just take food scraps. And if you just don't want to throw those in the trash, I'm pretty sure you can put them in your like yard waste bin. Yeah. So I guess maybe that was going to be my, my next question is if you're maybe not up to 
or don't necessarily have the time to to get like your own compost going. Picking it up from other places like like garden centers should have some type of compost that you can buy. Yeah, if you're just talking about using compost, you can get it. You can get compost anywhere. I've always found that like blending compost will give you the best kind of combination. I yeah. will typically use anywhere from three to five different types of compost two to three is totally fine but i'm always trying to kind of average everything out you know something like a chicken manure based compost will be like really really high in nitrogen and could if used exclusively um, especially if it's young compost could like burn your roots so it's kind of about mellowing everything the three most commercially available ones there's a brand called black cow and i think you can get it like anywhere so they make a mushroom compost which is really nice so that's basically in the mushroom creating process they need all of these different materials and after they harvest all the mushrooms they just basically turn all that stuff and they compost it i think it's already manure and different really good brown ingredients so uh, mushroom compost they have a, a cow manure compost and then they have a chicken manure those are the most common that i've seen but you know there's all types and and your region is going to have some completely different compost that we don't have you know a, a lot like here cotton is a big agriculture byproduct so cotton burr compost is really really common to see here so i guess well uh, one thing that i was a little curious about is how often are you able to like have stuff from your garden in your dinner so every year like gardening kind of goes through this like stages of, of mental excitement and I would say like right now is like the peak, like I'm going to have this big, huge garden. I'm going to buy all these yeah. seeds. I'm going to buy all these plants. And then like that builds and like that energy lasts you until summer and then you harvest. And then by the time that like midsummer comes around and you've had all that food, you kind of start to get some fatigue. And, and it's very easy for like, you know, come, let's say August for that energy to really dissipate and then you kind of let your garden go after that. So I like to be realistic and here in Charleston, I could grow all year round, but fall for me is not that exciting. I'd rather just like put plants in there that can stay there and pick from them every once in a while. But definitely in that spring and summer, you know, it's probably lettuces. We would eat probably like two or three salads a week. When tomato season comes around, I'm growing, you know, four to five tomato plants. So it's probably something like, I don't know, five to 10 tomatoes a week. It very quickly goes from, this is great. I'm making, I'm able to make meals out of it to, oh my God, this is overwhelming. What do I do with all of this? (laughs) To then like, now my plants are starting to fade and I don't have, I have like a manageable amount. So we do a lot of salads. I love kale and different lettuces. I, I was talking earlier about the cut and come again lettuces. So one of the deterrents for me from actually eating a lot of the food is having to clean it. So like salad greens, there's kind of like no way around like having to get the spinner out and like washing them. It's like, yeah, you could technically wash them, rinse them once and then eat them from there. But there's no way to like... You're just going to have really wet yeah. salad. Who has time to just like like let it dry? Yeah, you know? I, was even, I was talking to my friend here who like converted his entire yard into a farm basically. And he's also a chef. And I was like, is there any way around this lettuce conundrum because I love it. But like the cut and come again, if I'm harvesting every single, I technically could make a salad every day. It's so much extra work to clean it all that it's to me, it's not that worth it because it's just not realistic. So what I, I, I prefer to grow like head lettuces so that it's like one harvest 
And then I could plant them in succession. So I could start them like every week, one every every week or two every week so that I have them ready to go. And then I can harvest it and I have a whole head of lettuce to use in one big salad for the family. To me, that's a much more realistic. So I think like that's one of the things I've learned over time is that you're going to get to a point where you can't even keep up with everything that's coming out of the garden. And so like I love cucumbers and I had no idea how many cucumbers I was going to get. I had two plants and I was like, I got to figure out how to pickle because I'm like, I can't have a cucumber every day. And like one of the things too, this, this year I'm going to start doing is, is freezing things like, unless you're using a slicing tomato, if you're, if you have a paste tomato or something, you could freeze it as soon as you pick it, like freezing them separately. So you take a, a cookie sheet and yeah. you place each individual separately and then you put it in your freezer. And then once they're frozen separately, then you could put them in a bag and consolidate. Otherwise, they're going to all freeze together. And if you just wanted to use one tomato, you wouldn't be able to, to do that because they would all be stuck together. I think it's it, it's interesting like how, how much you actually can freeze. I feel like yeah, my, my wife is, is a baker and so we have just a ridiculous amount of bread around. And I never really knew that you could freeze half of the things as well as you can. So, yeah. but then I, I think, I think kind of that idea of being realistic with, with what you're doing is something that I've been trying to, I guess, really work on a bit. Um, kind of like what, what's sustainable for me because I, I can get really excited about something and just go like hardcore full throttle into it and then get burned out really quick. Yeah. And that's, that's another reason why like this year I'm mixing so many more like flowers and, and herbs in the mix. Like this year, I'm thinking more about overall health of the garden and like the health of pollinators and like the system, the ecosystem that it like creates than I am about harvesting enough to feed our family because we're still going to the store. Like we're not replacing the things. We're just kind of like supplementing it. And when you're trying to decide on what plants to plant, kind of an interesting or a challenge is figuring out like how much are you actually going to be able to harvest from this one square foot of of space and is there something that you would prefer to have there for instance like broccoli and cauliflower they're big they take up a ton of space you can use all the greens on on broccoli it's really good like you know steamed or or sauteed like just use them like you would like a kale or a collard green they're really really good and that's like the only way i can justify growing broccoli is just you get one head and then when you cut it it will sprout again it's so much space for not that much reward like you can't even make a meal out of one head of broccoli Think about it in like meals versus like supplementing. If you grow peppers or tomatoes or or eggplants, you're going to get those. Those are going to continue to come throughout the year and you're going to be able to use them, you know, all the time. Like we were eating probably five eggplants a week last year, but we did the small eggplants. So they were great as side dishes. But if I did the big eggplants, I'm like, what am I going to do with an eggplant that's like the size of my head? And even having one or two of those every week, I'm like, I don't like eggplant that much. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like every everything like you'll learn like space is, is so important and every new gardener will be super, super eager. You know, they have their baby plants and they're going to put them way too close together. So that's one thing for, for new, for new gardeners, like look how big that plant is going to get. And I do everything by like square foot. It's called like square foot gardening. Think about your bed as like a grid and like one square foot sections. So how many plants will fit, how many mature plants will fit in, in a single square? So for broccoli, that's that's one. For tomato, it's like one tomato per two square feet. For a zucchini, that's like nine square feet. One zucchini will produce like a zucchini a day. 
for months and you'll be like, wow. you, you'll be giving them away. I, I think there's some concepts there that we can definitely relate to because when you, when you say you're going to get into gardening, you want to do all the things. And you want to plant as absolutely as much as you can inside that bed. And not only are you not going to end up having the room for it, but you're not going to have, at least from my experience, is that you're not going to have healthy plants. We we planted some carrots that were admittedly too close together. There was too, too much stuff around it. The nutrients weren't you know, dispersing between the plants and super excited. It's harvest time. The carrots are like really big and bushy and green on top and we pull them out and they're like an inch, an yeah. inch long. Somehow they had flavor. I don't really understand how that worked. Like it actually tasted like really good carrot, but it just was like, it was, it was a one biter, yeah. you know? But I think like getting down to these basics of instead of trying to have you know, a plethora of things, taking a few things and then doing them well. We, we actually had a whole knives, a kitchen knives episode on this Love idea. Like you don't actually need the set of knives, like the, these nine set knives. I don't know why we really have those. Yeah. Professional chefs will have like their one knife and maybe a small knife, but a lot of them will just use like a $20 thing they can throw away when it's not sharp. Like I only buy Japanese knives that are like $200 a piece. And of course, like I now want a new set, even though my set is perfectly fine. Like, <laughs> it's such a consumer thing. We're led to believe that we need the whole yeah. set with all the steak knives. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we're down to, like, you know, the chef's knife, the paring knife, and the bread knife. And then we can get good at those knives, and we can, if we want to, and shoot, there really is nothing wrong with those $20 knives if you're going to just continue to replace them. But I think it gives you space to spend maybe a little bit more on a really good chef's knife if you want it. You know, because smaller is better, you know, and that's that's just a cultural thing. Like you said, like we we are consumeristic and we, we want the, the biggest and we want the most. So I don't know, you know, something super deep that I, I can I can get on board with. I know Chris can get on board with, but gardening with with what you can maintain. And I think what also it does is I think you mentioned this earlier, but if you're only doing a few things where your growing season is maybe going to be a few months, it's going to allow you to take a break because you are going to get burned out. I think we were really, really good gardeners this summer, and then the fall rolled around, and we just got really lazy, yeah. and we just weren't great gardeners anymore, and there was some harvests that we probably could have taken advantage of, but we just didn't, because we got burnt out, you know? If it wasn't harvesting one thing, it was another, you know? Started out with the radishes, and then the carrots, and then, you know, the these lettuces that you're talking about, and absolutely I can relate to the amount of zucchini that come out. They were growing into my neighbor's yard and he's like, you got to yeah. do something about these zucchini. I, was, I can't keep up. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to quit, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing is I also want to like, you know, one thing I've never done before, which I'm planning to do this year is like, I once it gets to fall, I'm doing so much in spring and summer that once it gets to fall, I'm expecting myself to be a little bit burnout. So while I'll have five new raised beds, you know, and you talked about pollinator gardens, like that's something like you don't need to harvest that. Yeah, you'll have to deadhead some flowers to keep them coming. But like you're you're also growing that for someone else. You're growing that to benefit the bugs that need it and the birds and the animals that, that benefit from having it. So it's like that's for me, that's the extra motivation for like having that pollinator garden. It's not just so like, oh, I need to have more and more food. But one of the things I'm going to be doing this year is growing cover crops. So once I'm done harvesting things in summer um, and late fall is planting something that can just basically keep the ground 
not bare because that's like bad to pull plants and just leave the soil there it's preferable to have some sort of plant on there because all of the soil microorganisms they benefit from the exchange of having those roots in the ground and it's basically food for them they're sharing food back and forth so the plant is, is sharing food with the soil bacteria and fungi so if that's not there then they have to go on to some other type of food interesting you you did also mention the grow along that you're doing I, d- I don't know if you wanted to kind of dive into what that is and and how people can kind of find you and maybe jump in on that yeah so i had talked about how like we noticed that gardening content was it picked up and people were paying really close attention to it especially last year and one of the things i noticed were People were kind of following along on what we were sharing, but I wasn't sharing everything. And the amount of mistakes that I noticed people making were like, were kind of driving me a little crazy. (laughs) So I started talking to people and then I saw that I started talking to a few other people that follow me and that were, I knew were also gardeners and they were asking me for advice and tips on what I was growing. And I saw that stat about 16 million new gardeners and I figured, wow, I'm only being tagged in some of these things. I'm sure there's we're influencing so many more people to start new gardens. If I remember what it was like to start a garden, I knew nothing about it. And for the most part, I just wanted to be told what to plant. And I maybe only kind of wanted to know why to plant it. I just wanted to do it. And I wanted to be able to harvest something, like have some sort of return for it. And so I kind of played with, around with the idea of, you know, I'm going to be growing all this stuff why don't I just kind of do this thing, call it a grow along, tell people everything that I'm, I'm growing. You know, there's, I think there's 17 or 18 plants in a four by four square foot area. And the whole thing is based on, you know, foods that most people like there's tomatoes, cucumbers, beans, lettuce, kale. And then there's like herbs and flowers that are specifically meant to you know, you can obviously enjoy, but a lot of them are meant to bring in beneficial insects that that have symbiotic relationships with like, you know, kale is protected by the predators that chamomile brings in. So it's all about having like this beneficial system that should stay naturally healthy and you know nothing's gonna be pest free but it should kind of balance itself out so i'm i designed a garden that should help the beginning gardener and then every week i've been sharing videos and blog posts of like what to do now and a lot of people i would say had never started seeds from from you know inside before maybe they'd started some carrots or some radishes outside but i was really trying to encourage as many people as possible to buy the grow lights to buy the seed starting things and then teach them how to start seeds indoors so that they kind of had this lifelong skill to grow whatever plants that they felt like because you know i could go buy a tomato for nine dollars and plant it in my garden or i can get a pack of seeds and grow 25 for three dollars i mean no one needs 25 tomatoes but i could do it Um, and i'll have so many extras i can give them to family and friends so it's just it's a great skill that i think will benefit people and it will also like help teach them about the process so that they have more respect so that they if they do go buy a plant they're not going to lowe's and buying the one that's available today they're going to their local nursery to get the one that was you know grown with a little bit more care so my instagram handle is t barrels my nickname is garden tom and it's the garden tom grow along that sounds kind of like exactly where we're at checking that out and kind of jumping in there as well we talked about how it's our wives favorite episode i think it's mine too (laughs) 
No, no, I, I actually I, I do feel like legitimately super inspired and can't wait for spring now. Another thing that I love about gardening is you can do it for so inexpensive. It's not like a lot of other hobbies where, you know, you can start with a pack of $3 seeds and, and the soil that you already have it at your house and like just start from there, you know, but that's why part of the reason why I started the grow along because most people are probably starting in the complete wrong spot. And I wanted to get people hooked on what I think can be a lifelong, you know, hobby and and passion of theirs. And I think doing what you can and like staying within your capacity, I think gardening can be expensive if if maybe you're not really fully aware of what what you what you can do what your limits are or if you're trying to do all the things because i remember when we first started i built my garden box and that was $100 and then my wife told me that oh you actually got treated wood you can't get treated wood there's chemicals in that so then i had to build a new garden box and then i bought a whole bunch of seeds that i didn't know they're going to work or not you know i just didn't really do my research but as chris will tell you he's going to be laughing at this that's kind of on brand for me and not really much of a researcher where he is like i think i need those boundaries to say, okay, we've got three bucks. We're going to go buy some seeds, and we're just going to try this. We're going to start small. And I think that's how change happens, you know? Change starts small, and then, you know, before before too long, you've, you've, you've got an amazingly curated and uh, well-informed Instagram. Like, you yeah, know, Thomas. I would say the biggest difference, like, biggest difference between cooking and gardening is cooking, you literally, you could screw something up today and try again tomorrow. And by the end of the week, if you cook that same thing for seven days straight, it's going to be a much better interpretation than it was like the very first time you tried it. And gardening is is something that it's hard to get good fast. And we're kind of at this like really interesting moment in gardening where we now know so much more about the scientific aspect of it, especially like the soil biology stuff is just in the last 10 years, how much has been learned that, you know, if you think about people who have been gardening their whole life, let's say they're 70 or 80 years old, a lot of the things that they learned might actually not be backed up by science. It's just kind of the way that they've been doing things forever. You know, a good example of that is tilling. You know, people would go in through their tiller and they would just tear up the ground. And the thought was, you know, there's nutrients in there or you're putting new compost or new fertilizer on top. There's, there's, we're mixing it all up. And And now like there's an even you want a light, fluffy soil. And like people have been doing that for 60 years. And now it's thought that, well, actually what's happening is by tilling, you're killing every microorganism that's in there, every bacteria, every fungi, every anthropod, every earthworm, they're just being disintegrated either from the rotation or from the exposure to oxygen and or too much air or too much light and so what happens is every time you do that not only are you doing that but you're bringing new weed seeds back up to the top so every time you do that your your soil has to reheal itself and so we didn't know anything about all those teeny tiny microorganisms until really the last like 10 years so all these new gardeners can start with the newest research they might not even need to go that far but i want them starting with the best technique and and i've been like basically reading a book a week for the last few months about gardening it's something i always want to know more because i can never fake it there's a lot of people out there that can like just 
talk on a topic and not know anything and just wing it and just have more i don't know if bravado would be like the right word but they just act like they know what they what they're talking about and people believe them i could never do that so i have to before i write a blog post sometimes i'll read a whole book and i'm like this is not efficient at all (laughs) do you do you have a good book recommendation for us on gardening the thing that got me hooked was was square foot gardening the whole thing just made sense it was the first time i'd ever learned anything about compost and like the benefits of it. And so I would kind of start there. Um, his name's like Mel Bartholomew. The current the current okay. book I'm reading right now is Teeming with Microbes. And then the next two books are Teeming with Nutrients and Teeming with Fungi. So it's all about like the soil microbiology. Cool. I'll put those in the show notes. Cool. Yeah, well, it, it does seem like you've kind of compiled a, a lot of really great information and research and a really awesome place to start there. On uh, You mentioned it was, it was both Instagram and, and you have the blog going yeah. as well. That really just sounds absolutely perfect. So yeah, thanks again, Thomas. We really did appreciate all of your time and kind of the, the impartation of wisdom. I don't know if you want to just kind of one more time remind people of uh, where to find you on both your blog and Instagram. Yeah, so on Instagram, I am T-Barrels. And on my website, I am Garden Tom. That's GardenTom.com. Great. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks, Thomas. Okay. So, Phil, I, I don't know if we can say, can we have favorites? Oh, I think favorites are a must. I mean, all of our guests so far have been absolutely fantastic. They've all really brought interesting dimensions kind of above and beyond what I think I was expecting. And for sure, Thomas is no exception to that. Oh, Thomas. I mean, he honestly looks like Tom Brady. Okay. Well, um, you're crushed aside. I think <laughs> that I've never been so inspired to start a garden. And I started uh, looking into a little bit of Thomas's grow along and he really breaks it down into such manageable steps. Really kind of either the, the way that he described a lot of it. It just makes it all feel so attainable. Yeah. I mean, he's basically approaching things from this platform that we're all in this together. Like no one is more advanced than anyone else. If you are, then, you know, let's let's like bring someone along with us. It's, you know, he's he's not like preaching at us from this pedestal that he's just so much better than us because he, oh man, he's just such a good guy. I'm so excited to, to take his advice and um, make the world a better place. Can we say that? Can we go so far as to say that Thomas is making the world a better place? <laughs> sure. I think food in any way, shape, or form with thought, care, and love makes the world a better place, Phil. There so it is. with that in mind, Thomas absolutely is. If we were to bring him back for any topic, what do you want it to be? Okay, so I, I would have to say lump charcoal versus pellet grills, or just grilling in general. So what you're saying is two against one? Maybe. This doesn't seem No, I, I, I appreciate charcoal. And I don't think that I know a lot of people that are kind of in that same boat. Everybody's, I like, I know propane's just a whole lot easier. But also I think that Thomas's grilling sensibilities are pretty, pretty close to ours. Although I would love to kind of branch out into more barbecue, I guess. Barbecue and smoking. I've done a little bit here and there, but most of the time it's kind of grilling chicken and vegetables and stuff like that. You know, I got to be honest with you, Chris, I have this like really great smoked pork carnitas recipe on the pellet grill. But today, just today, what are the odds? I thought, you know what? I'm going to do this in the Dutch oven in the house. Chris, it was better. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was better in the Dutch oven. It was just so consistent. Uh, it was really easy to manage. Made the house smell amazing. So, but did, you didn't necessarily get that smoky flavor unless you used so some liquid good. smoke, I guess. No, I didn't use any liquid smoke. That's a good idea, though. Maybe that's the secret. Got got to cheat it, I suppose. Do you think that's what they do at barbecue joints? Oh, like they yeah, just definitely. Yeah, <laughs> throw stuff in a pressure cooker, like in an Instapot, and then <sighs> little drop or two of liquid smoke, and um, boom, eighteen dollars for fast casual. Yeah, actually, this this could be a whole nother episode. But a couple times, I've actually I don't I don't remember specifically what we what we've done. We've done a couple steaks this way, but I've I've actually like cooked this steak with a sous vide. So. You get just super, super, like amazingly tender meat, and then thrown it on a grill to sear it and finish it. And reverse like that, searing that process might have, I think, yielded some of the best best meats that like we've had. So I, I think I think a sous vide or like a, an immersion circulator could could be a really interesting episode of the future. Yeah, you just gave me an idea for like six different episodes. I'm ready to go. Not only can you use sous vides with meat and veggies and pretty much anything that you're doing that you want to just cook in an amazingly consistent and fantastic way, but also you can make some really awesome cocktail immersions with a sous vide. So, well, let's bring Thomas back for for one of those episodes. Let's just Co- bring Thomas cocktails back. and grilling. Maybe cocktails and grilling. Those those go together, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, yes, we definitely have to have Thomas back just because like he is so passionate and knowledgeable and like really easy to listen to and and learn from. And he plays the quarterback position so well. (laughs) Yeah. Even, even down in Florida. Be sure to check out his, his Instagram and his blog, gardentom.com. His Instagram is tbarrels. And like seriously, really fantastic content with his girl along. You can start from the beginning and he will take you step by step through your own garden. Perfect. That's a wrap. Oh, 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 oh.